0: If you have your Bible with you, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 16 and then to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Matthew 16, just a few verses there, and 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We pick up with verse 21. From that time, and this is the time when Peter declared that Jesus was the Messiah. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I'm going to go ahead and keep reading. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And then over to Second Corinthians. Chapter 10, verses one to six. I, Paul, myself entreat you, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I was wondering about how I was going to start uh, what I wanted to say today, uh, and then I realized that what I wanted to say today, there's so much there that I needed to take two Sundays. And so uh, this is part one of two. And I didn't know exactly how I was going to start it. And and so I was doing as, you know, every good pastor does uh, when they're struggling to know how to start a sermon. I watched a little bit of television Uh, and we've been following this series called Bones Uh, It's a series that's already been canceled, but uh, we've been watching that. And as we were watching, uh, it's kind of a murder mystery type thing, uh, a little bit of a comedy. There was a scene where Booth, Seely Booth, one of the heroes uh, of the series, is talking to uh, Wendell, one of the interns that's working at the Jeffersonian uh, uh, under uh, Seely Booth's wife, Temperance Brennan. And uh, this young intern has an incurable form of cancer, Uh, but he's going through a special trial, a trial treatment uh, that really has caused an improvement in him. Uh, But he goes to the doctor and discovers that one of the other guys on the trial had died. And so instead of going back to work, uh, he went to the bar and was sitting there and just kind of uh, nursing his drink, and he called Booth to come, and Booth comes, and they're having a conversation. And Booth, who is is a former military man, uh, he's sharing about a time when when he was on the battlefield where uh, the Taliban had uh, him and uh, the group of people, the men that he was with, there were 15 of them, pinned down for six days. And during that six-day period of time, while they were being... hacked uh, uh, just time after time after time by the Taliban, uh, awaiting some kind of rescue, awaiting some form of help, Booth shares how he watched as one after another after another of his friends, his brothers there in the trench with him, in, 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 uh, in that tight spot with him, he watched as one after another was picked off and killed. And in the end, out of that 15-man squad, only three survived. And Wendell, he thinks this is just an encouragement to him, uh, you know, that uh, people are going to die. And Booth says, no, 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 that's not the case. You need to keep Fighting. You cannot give up. You must keep fighting. I don't want to lose another one of my brothers. And it's a powerful moment in what is otherwise a fairly light-hearted series. And it really resonated with me because for more than three decades as a pastor. I feel like I've been in the trench with many of my brothers and sisters in Christ and in three churches on two continents and many more places in between where I've ministered in other places in Europe and other places in Asia. I've watched as one by one by one my friends have been picked off. I've watched as people who were in the trench with me, fighting side by side with me, are killed right in front of me. And I have seen dozens and dozens and dozens of my brothers and sisters in Christ ruthlessly picked off and killed. And I'm tired of seeing it. And it's always been needless. It's always been needless. I mean, sometimes we all have struggles. Sometimes life doesn't work out the way you want. You don't get the job you want. You don't get the girl you want. You don't get the situation you want. Sometimes people disappoint us and let us down. But we have to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and nursing our proverbial drink and giving up the fight so that we are picked off. We must keep fighting because I don't know about you, but I don't need to see another brother or sister in Christ die in front of me. Now, of course, I'm not talking about people dying physically, although I have seen that happen in the battle. I'm talking about people dying spiritually, where they wander away from their faith, they compromise with the world, they stumble into deception. And you know, but the real problem is this. Unlike physical death, people can die spiritually and still seem quite happy. People might walk away from the Lord and even be happier because they're no longer sitting on the fence. They're no longer straddling right and wrong. They've at least picked a side and they've jumped into it full steam. They might think even that they're still serving the Lord in some way. They might even feel like they're doing the right thing. But these people have lost the battle. They've lost the battle, the real spiritual battle in which we all are engaged in. They died because they lost the absolutely most important spiritual battle that every single one of us face, and that is the battle for your mind. And we're in a struggle. We're in a battle for the battle for our mind. You know, a lot of times we think that the real battle is against demons and demonized people. Let me tell you, I don't fear demons. And neither should you. We have authority over demons. I don't fear principalities and powers. I'm not going to go around and try to kick them and make them mad at me. That's kind of, you know, like wetting my fingers and sticking them in an electric socket. But I'm not afraid of that. But what I have seen is people losing the battle For their mind, and that is the biggest spiritual battle that you and we all together face. Even Jesus Christ had to deal with the battle for His mind, His temptations, they were all a battle for His mind. In the story that we read today, where He's with Peter, He's just told him, Peter's just said, You're the Christ. And so he says, okay, Peter, this is what that means. I'm going to have to die. But don't worry, I'm going to rise again on the third day. And and Peter goes, no, 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 Jesus, this can't happen to you. You can't die. You can't be rejected. And what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. It's not that Peter was possessed by Satan. It's that the words that Peter were saying had the Uh, uh, had the possibility of taking root in his mind and causing him to wander away from his mission, from what he knew he had to do. And so he said, get behind me, Satan. 95%, and I probably would put this percentage higher, but I believe 95%, and you you know with me, percentages, uh, you know, 50% of percentages are exact and 50% are estimates. And, you know, that's kind of an estimate. Uh, So, so, you know, I I guess statistics, uh, uh, percentages a lot. But I would wager 95% of Christians who do not persevere, who fall away, who wander from the church, who miss their spiritual destiny who miss out on some of the blessings that God has for them, do so because they lose this battle for their minds. The real spiritual battle in this world is the battle for our minds. No other spiritual battle compares. No other spiritual battle compares. And what Jesus said there. When he said, hey, you want to come after me? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For what does it profit someone if they gain the whole world, but lose their soul? That's talking about the outcome of somebody who loses the battle for their mind. So we're in a battle for our mind. But thanks be to God in Jesus Christ... Every single person can win this battle. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been saved by grace through faith, if you've been filled with God's Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to win the battle for your mind. And that's what makes the loss of the battle for your mind, losing the battle for your mind, so tragic. We can all win this battle but I can't win it for you. I can be side by side with you. I can be encouraging you, but I can't win it for you. Jesus has won it on the cross if you'll only accept what He's done for you, if you'll only apply what He's done for you, if you'll only live by the grace He gives you in the power of the Holy Spirit with whom He's filled you. But you can win the battle for your mind. And this this week and next week, I'm going to tell you how to do it. And I guarantee you it will work because Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. So let's dive into it, shall we? To win the battle for our minds, we first must be aware of the mental schemes that Satan deploys in this battle for our minds. If you're going to win it, you need to know Satan's strategies. And by the way, almost none of his strategies involve seeing demons. Almost none of his strategies involve being demonized, although that happens. His real schemes, the real dangerous things that Satan does are much more subtle and Satan loves to make you think it's you. Now, if you've got the email that I sent around uh, uh, for today's service, I included uh, a bit of a a sheet there with, I think it's 14 different common schemes that the devil uses to deceive us, to lie to us, so that we lose the battle for our mind. Uh, Originally, I was going to go for, okay, I'll give you the top two or three and then when I got to about seven or eight, I said, okay, I'll do the top 10. And then when I got to 12, I said, well, I'll just keep going. When I got to 14, I said, I'm going to stop and I'm not going to cover all of them. Originally, I was going to walk you through every single one of them, but hopefully I've given you enough in the sheet uh, to tell you what they are. And if, you, if you're watching uh, this later on and you don't have that sheet, just send us an email at info at city-temple.com. And I'll be happy to forward that to you. But, uh, you know, it's so many games, you know, like one called, uh, I call, nobody loves me. Nobody contacted me. You know, and this is where somebody gets upset because people at the church weren't calling them. And it's like, well, okay, I mean, that's fair enough. But frankly, did you call people in the church? And I said, well, no. Well, that's not a one-way street. That's not a one-way street. You know, or another one, you offended me. You know, where people take offense at something that somebody said. Golly, this happens all the time. And they walk away. And frankly, you know, it's a lie that people can give you offense without you choosing to take it. And that is a lie. You have to take offense. Uh, Or, you know, another big one, God told me. You know, where people do something they get a little voice in their head that says why don't you do this and they think that it's God when it's not and I've seen people follow the God told me thing when it was a demon or when it was the world or it was just their flesh and bring destruction into the life of a church no or how about it's not my fault The victim mentality, you know, I didn't succeed, I didn't flourish because of somebody else, or uh, it's your fault, which is the blame game. I better be careful because I could end up going through the whole thing, the whole list. There's a list. Like I said, there's 14, and I only stopped because I was running out of time to get it ready to send you. There's probably at least two dozen very common tactics, tactics, Satan uses to deceive you into losing the battle for your mind. And no matter what scheme he uses, we need to understand what Satan's goals are in the scheme. You know, one goal is he's trying to nudge us to find an aspect of our significance, security, or acceptance outside of Christ. Or to try to undermine our sense of significance, security, and acceptance in Christ. Another thing he loves to do, another goal, he wants to create anxiety in you. And most of the time, people don't even realize it's anxiety. A lot of times they they feel like it's a legitimate concern that they might have. But it's actually anxiety. He wants to create anxiety in you that will lead you to disconnect from God's people, to isolate yourself, which is when he can pick you off. Another common thing he does, another common goal, he wants to distort or twist your perceptions of reality so that you don't see things as they really are. And by the way, we almost never see things as they really are. Your perception of reality is incomplete. And whenever you think it's complete, you're falling into the scheme of the devil here. He wants to persuade us to act out of pride Or out of selfishness. He's nudging us in this way. He wants to lead us away from Jesus and from others so that we have a wrong view of who God is. Because if he can get us to believe a lie about who God is, that God's not good, that he doesn't love us, that he doesn't care for us, then we will lose the battle for our mind. So the first thing, if you're going to win the battle, you need to be alert and recognizing the schemes that Satan is using. And let me tell you, he is tailoring his scheme to you personally. Satan knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He probably puts a lot of the thoughts in your mind that you think is from you. Those thoughts of, well, I'm worthless. I'm never going to amount to anything. I can't do this. He puts a lot of those thoughts in your mind and he gears his strategies to you to make you fall. So you got to be aware. You have to be on the alert. His schemes, start learning how to recognize them. Now, to win the battle for our minds, not only do we need to recognize the schemes, but we need to use the weapons of our warfare. That's what Paul mentioned. He said, the weapons of our warfare... We don't war according to the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty. So what are some of the weapons of our warfare? One of the big ones is faith. Now, faith is not wishful thinking. It's choosing to trust and act, often beyond your ability, based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways, founded in relationship with the Father, through Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to exercise faith on a daily basis. It is a mighty weapon for our warfare. Another weapon for our warfare is the Bible is God's word. The Bible gives us God's objective standard for how we live our lives. It is a lens through which we can see the world as it really is. Another weapon of our warfare is declaring and affirming the truth. We renounce the lie, and we declare the truth. When we make declarations like we did at the start of the service today, we are declaring the truth. And when you start to believe a lie in your mind, one of the most powerful things you can do is say, in the name of Jesus, I renounce that, and I declare this is what the Bible says, and this is what is true. This is what is true. We declare the truth. Prayer and worship, a kind of a function the same thing. Presenting our requests, surrendering to God in worship. These are mighty weapons in our warfare. The church is a mighty weapon of our warfare. You cannot, even though, it's interesting, even though the battle for your mind is your battle, you will not win the battle for your mind apart from God's people. The battle for your mind is your personal battle, but you will not win the battle for your mind apart from God's people. From interacting with God's people. Church is a mighty weapon. And Paul tells us another one here, he says, take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. You know, you can't control all the thoughts that pop into your mind. But you can control whether those thoughts land in your mind and take root. You are in control of what thoughts will stay, what thoughts you will dwell on, and what thoughts you will reject. And you must actively take every thought captive in obedience to Jesus Christ. You must actively take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. So these are are some of our weapons. Faith, the Bible, uh, declaring, affirming the truth, prayer, worship, the church, fellowship with God's people, taking every thought captive. And you need to know these weapons, you need to use these weapons if you're going to win the battle for your mind. The third thing, to win the battle for our minds, we must turn our weapons on ourselves. To win the battle for your mind, you must turn your weapon on yourself. If anyone wants to save his life, Jesus says, he will lose his life by taking up the cross. If you want to win the battle, it's not about turning these weapons necessarily on Satan, although you'll use them against Satan. It's certainly not using them against other people or non-Christians. You need to turn the weapons on yourself, on your mind. Because we must turn the weapons on our minds to destroy strongholds. Now, strongholds are mental habitual thought patterns that are based on lies and not truth that are contrary to the word of God. So if you're all, always thinking, oh, I'm not beautiful. Uh, I mean, ladies, I mean, you go into this all the time, don't you? I'm not, be- I'm not very attractive. Uh, or I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to amount to anything. I can't succeed. You got to deal with those strongholds. If they've been living in your mind for a long time, you need to turn the weapons of your warfare on the stronghold and you can demolish, you can destroy those strongholds by rejecting the lie and believing the truth. You can do it. Not only strongholds, though, we must turn the weapons against uh, arguments that are against the knowledge of God. Now, what is this? These are logical trains of thought that lead us away from the truth of God and his word. The logical train of thought that starts to lead us away from the truth of God and his word. You know, for example, one of the big ones that people get caught up in is suffering and pain and evil. Why is there suffering, pain, and evil in the world if there's a good God? Now, I'm not going to give you the, the full answer to that, but I will tell you that the Bible has answers for that. And if you will follow the Bible's logic in that, you'll come up with an answer. But if you follow the world's logic, arguments against the knowledge of God, of what God has revealed, it can often lead you out of the faith, as it has for many people. So we need to turn these weapons against strongholds, turn them against arguments against the knowledge of God. We need to turn them against lofty opinions that we might raise against the knowledge of God. Now, what's this? These are our cherished opinions where we think we know best and we think we have the right perspective. Now, I love the United States, my country of birth, uh, and uh, the church in the U.S. is very strong in many, many ways. Uh, But, you know, sometimes... When I hear some of my fellow American Christians talking, I think, you know, dude, that is a lofty opinion that you think is true, but it's really not in accordance with the knowledge of God. And sometimes we can think, you know, I've heard Christians say, well, you know, real worship is hymns, or real worship requires drums. Uh... You know, I, I've heard all kinds of things. You know that really holy churches will have blue carpet, not red carpet. Must we must be a holy church? Uh, you know all these kinds of things, and, and sometimes it's really ridiculous. But so often, as Christians, we can develop these lofty opinions that really don't bear scrutiny when it comes to the Bible. And the problem is that sometimes they are so often circulated in social media... And they're so often circulated because so many preachers, they don't preach from what the Lord is saying, they just regurgitate what some other preacher is saying, that these things get circulated around and these lofty opinions, somehow they start to take on some air of holiness and and biblical veracity when actually they're nothing more than a lofty opinion that ultimately is against the knowledge of God. And we've got to turn the weapons against these lofty opinions. And we also need to turn these weapons against disobedience in our minds. This is a little bit of what Paul is talking in that a bit of a confusing last verse in the passage. Now, frankly, I've seen many, many times Christians start to have ideas, thoughts, and plans even not to do what God wants them to do, like fellowshipping with other Christians, or to do what God doesn't want us to do. I mean, I've seen Christians, I've seen men and women who are in, in Christian marriages who start to fantasize about another person and start to develop adulterous affairs and make plans to do that, and this is all germinating in their minds. And they didn't have to do that. What they needed to do was take every thought captive, apply the word of God, and destroy those disobedient thoughts immediately. But I've seen that happen. I have seen pastors who knew that they were called to their church, who were absolutely committed to their church until things started to get a little difficult and all of a sudden, they start thinking about, well, you know, maybe God doesn't want me to be here. Oh, I know, maybe God is calling me away somewhere. And before you know it, they've abandoned their church. These are plans and thoughts and ideas of disobedience in our minds that we must destroy with the weapons of our warfare. We must destroy these things with the weapons of our warfare. Friends, my heart breaks. It really does. And my heart breaks for people we've seen here at City Temple. If you've walked with us, I mean, several of you have walked with us for the last 20 years. I mean, you've seen it. You've seen it. People who are on fire with the Holy Spirit, people who were making a difference, making a contribution, just walk away. Just walk away. Because they lose the battle for their mind. And let me tell you, one of the things that breaks my heart even more is that in 100% of those cases, they were warned. In 100% of those cases, they were warned, they were alerted to the fact that this was a battle for the mind. And you know, some of them even agreed that it was a battle for their mind. Some of them had been trained in freedom in Christ, where we talk about our identity in Christ and living out of that identity. And yet they still lose the battle for their mind because they didn't fight with diligence. They didn't apply the weapons of our warfare and they didn't embrace everything that they are and everything they were in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if you do not win the battle for your mind, you will not experience the fullness of the future God has for you. You will often miss the very blessings that God had planned for you and was preparing you to experience. You might even wander away from God and his people, disappointment, and disgrace, but blaming them not realizing that it was really your battle to win or to lose together with God's people. Let me tell you, Jesus has given us everything we need. He really has. He set you in a church. And if it's not this church, it can be another church. It doesn't have to be this church. But he set you in a church. He set you in God's people. He saved you by grace through faith. He's forgiven your sins. He's given you authority over the world, the flesh, and the devil. He's seated you. God has seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. And we have all authority over all the power of the evil one, especially as he engages in the battle for our minds. By grace, let us wield that authority In the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God in Jesus Christ so that we are victorious. Because that is what God intends for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do love you and praise you. I pray, Father God, that you would just alert everyone here of any way that there's a battle going on in their minds right now. Lord, I pray that you would show us the schemes of Satan active in us right now. Lord, I pray that you would show us those strongholds, those lofty arguments, those lofty opinions, those plans or ideas of disobedience that are percolating so that we might apply those weapons you've given us and see victory. And Father God, I pray that by your Spirit you would make us diligent and vigilant never to give up, never to surrender, never to back down, never to accept defeat, but to persevere until the full victory is ours, in our minds, in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would send us to one another. If we see somebody is struggling with that battle for their mind, Lord, send us in love to each other, to help each other, to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to stand by one another. So that none of us are picked off. So that none of us fall away. So that none of us perish. Let Jesus be honored and glorified in us. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, this closing song—it's a—it's a great anthemic song, uh, and I.